Welcome to GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. It is Wednesday, uh, December 20th. We are here in the Los Angeles studios, the Ringer headquarters. Mike Lombardi is at home, and he is on his phone, and I am joined by him. Lombardi, how you doing? I'm great, Tate Fraser. How are you? I, I thought I'd see you in Beverly Hills shopping today, no? <laughs> Unfortunately, no. they won't let me back to Beverly Hills. I, I, I tried to get in there and shop, but they, they told me I didn't have the funds. To, I didn't have sufficient enough funds to make it happen there, so I had to go back uh, inner city time. So, uh, you know, it's all right. I, I'll, I'll do all my shopping on Amazon this year. I'm sorry I missed you, though. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I haven't left the room. I've been working on the book, so don't feel bad. I haven't left anywhere. So I'm still here. Don't worry. I'll hold the fort down. Good. Please. I appreciate that. Um, we got a lot to talk about today. The Pro Bowl voting came yep. out. Um, yep. We're going to get to that a, a little bit later. But off the top here, I know that you know a lot of people have reached out to me, and you know whether it's jokingly or not jokingly about the, the potential new ownership in Charlotte with the Carolina Panthers. Jerry Richardson has put it out there that he is going to, to sell his majority stake in the team. He owns 52% of the team. He's going to sell his majority share. Um, to whoever ends up being the suitor. There's been some names that have leaked out. Probably one of the bigger names that's leaked out is uh, Puff Daddy. Uh, Diddy has come out and said that he wants to own the North Carolina Panthers, which you know is endearing to my heart because I do refer to them as the North Carolina Panthers uh, in my mind, even though I have to say Carolina. Um, Steph Curry has said that you know he, he would love to join the ownership group uh, with Diddy to try to buy the she- team in Charlotte. Um, there's been a lot of interested parties, and, and you know it's obviously a big story that will continue to go on as it develops. But first off, Lombardi, when you look at a situation with the ownership and the NFL, Phil, I mean, this is a, a club, an exclusive club to get into. And, you know, what does that sort of look like? Well, this is going to be fascinating. You know, all the people that have been talking about the demise of the NFL and the ratings are down. Where do you see the sale price on this team? Now, uh, you know, he owns 52%, but like in most deals where you have minority partners, they don't nest, they don't stay there. I mean, the sale price will determine they take their pay, they take their payout or they stay in their position, uh, whatever happens. So, you know, if somebody comes in, the price of this team is going to be astronomical. Mm -hmm. And we saw the Browns sell for a billion dollars. This includes the stadium. There's been renovations by the city to the stadium. I think this is going to be a huge win for the NFL. I think it's going to be a huge win. Jerry Richardson at 81 years old was always going to sell the team upon his death. I think that obviously the situation has preempted him to strike earlier than that. But I think this is going to be huge for the NFL, and they've got to get the right owner in there that can help them as they, you know, this marketplace, as you know, Tate Frazier, in Carolina is huge, and team the, people love football in the Carolinas. I mean, it, this is going to be a fascinating who comes forward. We saw Eddie DeBarlo has mentioned he wants mm-hmm. a part of this. You know, I saw somebody mention Oprah would be a wonderful owner. I mean, wouldn't that be great if Oprah came in and be the first woman to own an NFL team? That oh. would be un- well, she's not the first woman, but I mean, they've, they've been inheriting in the team. But I'm talking about the first woman to buy a team, huh? It would be beautiful. That's, every single name I've seen thrown out has been a great situation for for the Carolinas. And uh, I think the, the main thing that has come out, the Charlotte mayor and the city council have both put it out to the world that they have no intentions of letting the Panthers leave. I know personally, as soon as I saw Jerry Richardson uh, put it out that he was going to sell his majority stake, the first thing I, I thought about was the potential of losing the franchise and then moving somewhere else in the NFL. You know, we've obviously seen them look at London. We've obviously seen them look at the, the, the markets in Mexico. And you just never know if they want to branch out internationally. And that could be, you know, sort of a, a knock opportunity for them to do that and it's kind of you know in their lap but it seems like that's not going to happen with charlotte and the city council backing it um my main thing and i don't think the league i don't think jerry richardson would let that happen i really don't i don't think jerry richardson's going to let that happen because jerry richardson's a carolinan 
Mm-hmm. He's got a pride there. He, you know, hits the Carolina Panthers. He named the team. I mean, it's going to always be remembered as his team in perpetuity, even though a new owner comes in. He started it. So I, I can't imagine that that would be a condition. But I think what fans don't always understand, these are not just guys walk down the street and say, hey, I want to buy a team. This, to get in this inc- exclusive billionaire's club, you've got to be well-connected. And you've got to be vetted. And you've got to be really tight. I mean, Jimmy Haslam bought the Cleveland Browns. Because what he did was he purchased some of the Pittsburgh Steelers only for the right to be able to be in line to buy the next team. Now, he couldn't control what the price was, but it put him in good graces and it put him in a fast track to get an NFL team. And I think this is what you're going to see. There's going to be some some people. And then I think the NFL, if they were smart, are going to try to go to certain people to see if they will be willing to buy the team. Certain people that would help them market this team, become more uh, vital, and kind of set the NFL off a little bit. I think that would be critical, too. So I think they're going to go to certain people. Now, Mark Cuban said he's not interested because he thinks the league's declining. Well, wait till he sees the price of this team and find out how much the league's declined. Yeah, once we get in the $2.1, $2.5 billion range, I, I think that the idea that the NFL is declining will <laughs> you know, take a hit no, when people see those numbers. It's not going to decline because it's a guaranteed profit for the owner. He's got a stadium revenue. They've got a salary cap, albeit there's going to be a collective bargaining agreement, which will happen. I mean, this, the players aren't going to sit out forever. You know, so you've got, it's got a revenue streams. You've got Amazon. You've got Hulu. You've got all these other places, Facebook, that want to be a part of the NFL, that want to be putting the game on. I, I think it's huge. And I think if they get a tech guy or somebody who really understands it, like Steve Ballmer does in, in the, at the Los Angeles Clippers here, somebody of that ilk or Oprah in the entertainment world, you know, I mean, I think it's, a, it, it's going to be incredible. And this is really a great opportunity for the NFL to transition itself from all the negative publicity into some real positive publicity, especially for the Carolinas. Yeah, there's even been, uh, I saw someone throw the crazy idea of Bill Gates. So the Gates uh, Foundation, they built a lot of schools in North Carolina. They even built a school, uh, Granville Central, right outside my hometown. And they've been involved in some of the impoverished areas and the rural areas of the state. And some people have thrown out the idea that the, the Gates family would want to throw something into the NFL. So there's a lot of names being thrown out there. Oprah's my favorite. That, that, that's the best one I've heard. And obviously, you know, I have a little bit of an affinity for a bad boy in Diddy. So we'll see what happens. I, I'm excited to see how it all plays out i think uh you know it, it'll be good obviously with the with the whole new uh, regime coming in you know tate frazier i think this is really going to be a positive for the team on the field I, I do i think that there's a lot of players i saw cam newton's comments about how much he loves mr richardson and and whatever's happened and obviously the league's investigating that and the situation that's going on there but the man did have the respect of some of the players in the locker room it's going to be fascinating to see if that goes on the field and it manifests itself and they play and they finish really strongly as they are starting to do with their win last week over Green Bay, as they ride this thing in and they get into the playoffs and they, and they make their move. I mean, wouldn't it be unbelievable, kind of embarrassing for the league, actually, if Jerry mm-hmm. Richardson had to get the Super, got the Super Bowl trophy as the <laughs> owner of the team? Well, I guess he wouldn't get it because right now he's suspended. But, I mean, it almost seems like this team is more motivated than ever to uh, – to play well, and now they have a, a really a caveat to go after it. 
Well, and then it will put us in back-to-back years where the Super Bowl ceremony has had this separate conversation where, you know, obviously last year it was, you know, Goodell is going to be on the stage with Kraft and have to hand him the trophy, and that's going to be the big stage. And then if it were the Panthers, I'm going to knock on what as I say that, you know, you'd have Jerry Richardson on the stage with Goodell and him. Have, you know what I mean? It would be but back I, don't to, think he can, yeah. I don't think he can be on the stage, though. Yeah. I think that's the point. I think it's going to be that woman who took over as running the team would be on the stage. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, so all that, you know, all that would go away. But just look, give it to Cam Newton. That's all I'd want. Give it to Cam. Yeah, put just do it to Cam. But uh, you know, certain things help teams become motivated. And well, this one was when I read the comments by Cam today. It obviously they they liked it. They liked the man. They feel res- they respect the guy, and I'm sure they're going to play well for him. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Before we get on to the Pro Bowl I mean, stuff. Uh, go, sorry, Mike. They got well. They got Tampa Bay this week. I mean, really, there's another one they're going to notch to their belt, right? Yeah, they're they're moving up and uh, they're trying to climb up and they're trying to make a run for uh, the NFC South. But you know that probably won't happen unless the Saints really uh, throw it in these next few games. I will say this though, just speaking about the Panthers, do you have any thoughts about Thomas Davis? Obviously, for his hit on uh, Devontae Adams, the big block uh, coming back, and he was obviously shooken up on the sidelines as as it happened. Uh, he had he was suspended two games originally. He appeals. He is now suspended. one one game it gets reduced to one game any thoughts on that or I mean I've seen a lot I, I of people I thought it was the right call yeah. when I when I saw two games I knew it was going to get reduced down to one I thought Thomas Davis's apology was was outstanding I think it was what he had to do uh, I think the thing that he led with his head was wrong I think he knows he made a mistake I don't think he's a dirty player I never thought of him when I watched tape on him thought of him as a dirty player and you know I think this is one of the unfortunate things he's going to pay a price he's going to miss the Tampa Bay game but I, I do think that uh you know, you know, I think it was handled well. The two games down to one. I mean, if they would have given him one game and then he has the appeal, do they uphold it? I think it was the right suspension, and I think the league is actually doing the right thing here. Yeah, and Shaq Thompson will be back uh, in the linebacking core this week in, in the absence of Thomas Davis for any uh, concerned Panthers fans. So all that to be said, let's get on to the Pro Bowl. It was released late, late last night. Um, a lot of big names, obviously, because it is the Pro Bowl. These are the best players in football. But I think one of the big things that stood out to me, and we're going to start in the AFC if that's fine by you, Mike. Uh, sure. I want to talk about the fact that the guy after week five is considered the favorite to be the MVP does not even make the Pro Bowl roster. And I'm, of course, talking about Alex Smith. You got Tom Brady, Philip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger, the three quarterbacks chosen in the AFC. But the snubbed Alex Smith, I mean, he's had one of his best seasons. I know the Chiefs are still going back and forth. They haven't really quite figured it out. But I I, I honestly cannot believe he did not make the Pro Bowl this season. Look, I... You know, I don't think you could argue that Roethlisberger or Rivers, you know, have had good years. I think there's times where Big Ben didn't play well early. This is a little bit like the the, the college pairing. If you play well early, it doesn't count. Ben didn't play well early. He's playing better late, so he gets in. And I think that's why Alex Smith. I mean, Alex Smith is a little bit like, you know, those teams that lose a game in, in, uh, in late in the season you know, whether it's Ohio State or Auburn, and they can't make the Final Four. Whereas if you lose in October or September like Oklahoma did, you do. So, I, or, uh, you know, I think that that helps you. But for the most part, for me, I thought Alex Smith had his best season. Yeah, absolutely. That that was probably the biggest snub I would see on the AFC. And then, you know, as you go down the list, I mean, the usual suspects, wide receiver, obviously Antonio Brown, DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Green, Keenan Allen are the guys that make it there. Uh, running back Le'Veon Bell, Kareem Hunt was probably the big one. The rookie for the Chiefs uh, does make the team, even though his quarterback did not. I mean, what do you think about a, a rookie Kareem Hunt uh, getting to the Pro Bowl? You know, I, I, look, I thought he played well early, and now he's playing bet much better later in the season. Uh, 
you know, I, I, I thought his play early was really the reason why they were so effective, and I think he's now coming back to where he needs to be. Uh, I'm just looking here. Did Melvin Gordon, you know, I mean, I thought Melvin Gordon yeah. had a really good season. Melvin too. Gordon did not make it. Uh, LaShawn McCoy was the third back, so it was Le'Veon Bell, Kareem Hunt, and LaShawn McCoy were the three running backs in the AFC. Yeah, and I, and I kind of actually thought Melvin Gordon was really playing well. I think that, you know, I think he, I, I would have picked Melvin Gordon too, but somebody has to go the line. I, I, to me, it would have come down to to Hunt or Melvin Gordon. I think Melvin Gordon certainly deserves it. So that's a good trade-off. Maybe we maybe we, re, we rejigger this thing and we take Rivers out, you throw in Alex Smith just for the, you know, and then you get Gordon to go in and you take Hunt out. You know, it's a nice AFC West, sh- AFC West shift there. Yeah, I, I would go for that. I mean, look, I think Alex, I think, look, Philip Rivers has had moments, but look, Philip Rivers, the last couple of weeks, I mean, especially in Kansas City, didn't particularly play his best game. And I think he's having a heck of a year, but I don't think he really played his best game going in there. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I will say this about the uh, the AFC in general. I mean, there's a lot of Titans players on there, or quite a few Titans players on there, which is, uh, you know, credit to them, kudos to them. Um, Eric Weddle, a guy that I, I've always enjoyed to watch, free safety, makes it for the Ravens. Um, was there anything else in the AFC that stood out with you from the Pro Bowl roster? Yeah, you know, I I, I, I crack up. I mean, the, the Titans had how many guys make the team? Tate so, Fraser? So we got tackle, Taylor Lewan gets it. Uh, interior lineman, Jarrell Casey, Casey makes it. Uh, Malik Jackson, another interior lineman for the Titans, makes it. Uh, no, Malik Jackson's in jail. Yeah, but, I, you know, certain things help teams become motivated. And, well, this one was when I read the comments by Cam today. It obviously, they, they liked it. They liked the man. They feel res- they respect the guy, and I'm sure they're going to play well for him. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. Before we get on to the Pro Bowl I mean, stuff, uh, go, sorry, Mike. They got, well, they got Tampa Bay this week. I mean, really, there's another one they're going to notch to their belt, right? Yeah, they're, they're moving up, and uh, they're trying to climb up, and they're trying to make a run for uh, the NFC South, but you know that probably won't happen unless the Saints really uh, throw it in these next few games. I will say this, though, just speaking about the Panthers, do you have any thoughts about Thomas Davis, obviously, for his hit on uh, Devontae Adams, the big block uh, coming back, and he was obviously shooken up on the sidelines as, as it happened. Uh, he, had, he was suspended two games originally. He appeals. He is now suspended one one game it gets reduced to one game any thoughts on that or i mean i've seen a lot I, I of people i thought it was the right call yeah. when i when i saw two games i knew it was going to get reduced down to one i thought thomas davis's apology was was outstanding i think it was what he had to do uh, i think the thing that he led with his head was wrong i think he knows he made a mistake i don't think he's a dirty player i never thought of him when i watched tape on him thought of him as a dirty player and you know i think this is one of the unfortunate things he's going to pay a price he's going to miss the tampa bay game but i i do think that uh you know, you know, I think it was handled well. The two games down to one. I mean, if they would have given him one game and then he has the appeal, do they uphold it? I think it was the right suspension, and I think the league is actually doing the right thing here. Yeah, and Shaq Thompson will be back uh, in the linebacking core this week in, in the absence of Thomas Davis for any uh, concerned Panthers fans. So all that to be said, let's get on to the Pro Bowl. It was released late, late last night. Um, a lot of big names, obviously, because it is the Pro Bowl. These are the best players in football. But I think one of the big things that stood out to me, and we're going to start in the AFC, if that's fine by you, Mike. Uh, sure. I want to talk about the fact that the guy after week five is considered the favorite to be the MVP does not even make the Pro Bowl roster. And I'm, of course, talking about Alex Smith. You got Tom Brady, Philip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger, the three quarterbacks chosen in the AFC. But the snub to Alex Smith, I mean, he's had one of his best seasons. I know the Chiefs are still going back and forth. They haven't really quite figured it out. But I, I, I honestly cannot believe he did not make the Pro Bowl this season. 
know, I, I was a little surprised as well. I mean, look, he has played well, and down the last couple of weeks, he's played better. I mean, you know, and so it's just, you know, oftentimes these 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 grades, the, the way things are set up and the way it works out, you just wonder. I mean, it's, you know, one thing about quarterback, it's kind of hard to really argue with the quarterbacks. I mean, but in all honesty, I think there's times where, where Alex Smith has played better than Drew Brees. I mean, I think there's no doubt about that. I, I think there's times that Alex Smith has played better than some of the other, uh, you know, some of the other uh, AFC quarterbacks. But for the most part, you know, I, I can't really hold on, Tate. I want to. I was just, just jumping around here for a second. Where did I? I lost my train of thought there. Wait a minute. Who, who went for the AFC? I'm sorry. We'll so the AFC. So basically, uh, Rivers and Roethlisberger got in over uh, Smith. Okay. Right. Okay. Let me let me start there. Look, I, you know, I don't think you can argue that Roethlisberger or Rivers, you know, have had good years. I think there's times where Big Ben didn't play well earlier. This is a little bit like the, the the college pairing. If you play well early, it doesn't count. Ben didn't play well early. He's playing better late, so he gets in. And I think that's why Alex Smith. I mean, Alex Smith is a little bit like, you know, those teams that lose a game in, in, uh, in late in the season you know, whether it's Ohio State or Auburn, and they can't make the Final Four, whereas if you lose in October or September like Oklahoma did, you do. So, I, or, uh, you know, I think that that helps you. But for the most part, for me, I thought Alex Smith had his best season. Yeah, absolutely. That that was probably the biggest snub I would see on the AFC. And then, you know, as you go down the list, I mean, the usual suspects, wide receiver, obviously Antonio Brown, DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Green, Keenan Allen are the guys that make it there. Uh, running back Le'Veon Bell, Kareem Hunt was probably the big one. The rookie for the Chiefs uh, does make the team, even though his quarterback did not. I mean, what do you think about a, a rookie Kareem Hunt uh, getting to the Pro Bowl? You know, I, I, look, I thought he played well early, and now he's playing bet much better later in the season. Uh, you know, I, I, I thought his play early was really the reason why they were so effective, and I think he's now coming back to where he needs to be. Uh, I'm just looking here. Did Melvin Gordon, you know, I mean, I thought Melvin Gordon yeah. had a really good season. Melvin too. Gordon did not make it. Uh, LaShawn McCoy was the third back. So it was Le'Veon Bell, Kareem Hunt, and LaShawn McCoy were the three running backs in the AFC. Yeah, and I, and I kind of actually thought Melvin Gordon was really playing well. I think that, you know, I think he, I, I would have picked Melvin Gordon too. But somebody has to go the line. I, I, to me, it would have come down to to Hunt or Melvin Gordon. I think Melvin Gordon certainly deserves it. So that's a good trade off. Maybe we maybe we re, we rejigger this thing and we take Rivers out. You throw in Alex Smith just for the you know, and then you get Gordon to go in and you take Hunt out. You know, it's a nice AFC West shi- AFC West shift there. Yeah, I, I would go for that. I mean, look, I think Alex. I think look, Philip Rivers has had moments, but look, Philip Rivers the last couple weeks. I mean, especially in Kansas City, didn't particularly play his best game. And I think he's having a heck of a year, but I don't think he really played his best game going in there. Uh, and Lombardi, as I run through this list, I'm just looking at guys that really jump jump out to me in the AFC. I mean, one name that jumps out to me is uh, Eric Weddle, a veteran guy, plays for the Ravens, free safety, he gets the spot there. Uh, are there any other names that jump out to you? Uh, on I mean, AFC? Devin McC- to me, yeah. Devin, uh, Eric Weddle gets it because Eric Weddle gets it. Like, uh, you know, I think Devin McCourty's a much better free safety than than than. Uh, than Eric Weddle would be. I mean, I think he's certainly Rashard Jones from the Miami Dolphins is a much better player. I mean, I think Weddle's kind of like he just gets it stamped in there. People just automatically, oh, Weddle's a really good player when people attack him down the field. See, this is what happens with this thing. Rashard Jones got the strong safety one. Makai Hyde did too in strong safety. But to me, I think I think when you look at McCourty, I think when you look at Deron Harmon, I think both those guys have played well all season. You know, in the AFC, I think that's one of the strengths of the New England defense. If they, in fact, they have a strength at all, and they're able to do that, so 
you know, for me, I think McCourty would be better than Weddle. Uh, and, uh, you, you know, I, I would have traded that out for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and just, I mean, I'm going to ask a broad question just about the Pro Bowl in general. I mean, when you look at, if you're a coach or a GM and you look at a Pro Bowl, I mean, do you look at a guy's Pro Bowls to sort of decide if you want to, I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's sort of lost its luster. I mean, even the All-Star yeah, in the it NBA. I think it definitely has. Like, I, like I'm looking at it, like, look, I think Rich, Richie Incognito is a good story. I think it's good. I, I, I think Shaq Mason of New England's a better player there. I think, you know, Alexander Valanueva, the left tackle there, you know, I, you know, certainly he's played well. I think it's great to have a new name on the list, David DeCastro on the list. But I, I think you know Donald Penn's a good player. Mm-hmm. He plays well week in and week out. So, so it's Taylor kind of Luan. like hard to yep. Taylor Lewan. Those are the kind of guys you see in there. Le'Veon Bell. I mean, you can't. Who could argue with that? But for the most part, I, I, I think it gets it. You don't really get that. Like, is does it, when you go to the Pro Bowl, does that necessarily mean you're a great player? No, it doesn't. I mean. I've often said this, you know, a guy goes to the Pro Bowl, you know, for so many years, and that's going to get him in the Hall of Fame when nobody really actually thought he was a great Pro Bowl player. And I think sometimes that happens. Like, I mean, Tyreek Hill goes in as a return specialist, probably because they had nowhere else to put him in, on the team. But Tyreek Hill is a Pro Bowl player. Like, there's, like he's, a, he's better than other guys on this list who went to the Pro Bowl. So if you were going to grade the Pro Bowl, then I think it's way different. Yeah, when they do it by positions, it uh, kind of muddies the waters. Uh, like Von, uh, Von yeah. Miller's a great priest, a Pro Bowl player. He belongs on the list. I wouldn't say he's had his best season. Of course, they've been behind, you know, and so I think it hasn't been the same. And I think when you look at, you know, Aqib Tlaib, is he, the, is he the best corner in football? Is he one of the best corners? Probably by reputation, is he is he the same? I think Casey Hayward, who's on the list, is as good and has played well. So there's a bunch of different guys that go that you kind of wonder, especially the offensive line is hard really for everybody to kind of get a good grasp of. And I think sometimes guards kind of get overlooked. Well, you know, this guy's not a great player. Or if a team doesn't win, you know, then all of a sudden you can't get a guy to the Pro Bowl. Yeah. Uh, that that all checks out. I mean, as I'm as I'm running through the list, I mean, it, it does do. You know, obviously Joey Bosa was big for him. He's the starter uh, at defensive end. He's had a re- really great season, especially with you know bringing back the strip sack. Um, yeah, there's there's just a bunch of guys out there. Uh, I mean, Melvin Ingram's Melvin Ingram's as good as. I mean, Calais Campbell went in as a defensive end when really to me Calais Campbell's impact on the team is a defensive tackle. Yeah, Melvin he's Ingram. inside. Yeah. yeah you know, Melvin Ingram could be over there. Clowney, I thought, was, was great this season. You know, I thought mm-hmm. he was really an impact to have to handle. He's all over the field. He does so many different things. You know, on the NFC side, Tate Frazier, I, I didn't understand how Harrison Smith didn't get in. Like, I thought Harrison Smith's a really good player at strong safety. You know, I, I didn't really understand how that happened. Like, to me, he's made way too many plays for him not to get in the game. Yeah, and he falls to Landon Collins with the Giants and Malcolm Jenkins, Mal- Malcolm Jenkins on the Eagles. I mean, those Jenkins has had a really good season. Collins also, I mean, he's had a tough time with the – he's not had a tough time personally, but the Giants have obviously had a rough season. So you, it would be good to reward a guy like uh, like Harrison Smith there. But Xavier Rhodes, we should say, uh, is going to be the starter at corner. Uh, he's had a great season for the Vikings too. Um, yeah, as I'm, and then you know the Eagles do well. Fletcher Cox uh, and then Everson Griffin. I mean, this, the defensive side of the football for the NFC as you run through these names. I mean, Luke Keekley, Bobby Wagner. Uh, you can sort of see why the NFC is so good because their defenses. Uh, if you put them all together, it's a, it's a it's a monstrosity, as some would say. 
Yeah, no, it's really good. I mean, they, there's a bunch of guys, and I mean, look at the tight ends. I mean, Zach Ertz is a good player. Jimmy Graham, guys got hurt this year. Look, Alex Mack beats Travis Frederick out for the starting job. I couldn't argue with that. Brandon Brooks, Brooks I thought, had a really good year for the Eagles this season. You know, Trent Williams is remarkable. He plays on one leg. Tyron Smith, we know that the Cowboys with the clapper, everything shuts down <laughs> if he's not in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm glad Adam Thielen got in the game because it's really well-deserved. And Michael Thomas is yep. kind of like the unsung hero. Second year. Down there. I mean, no I mean, you know, all the backs, you know, Alvin Kamara, they get all the talking. I mean, the Saints have two running backs. You know, they have, I mean, think about this. The Saints have two running backs, a quarterback, and, you know, a wide receiver. And I, and I think some of their offensive line at times could be in this group. But, you know, uh, they, they haven't, they didn't make the group. Uh, and so, but, I mean, that, they're a really talented offensive team. And defensively, you know, Cam Jordan makes it as well. So you can see why they're winning. But, I don't really argue as much. The only one that jumped out at me to me was Harrison Ford. Like I just thought he Harrison Smith, Harrison Ford, Harrison <laughs> Smith. I thought for sure he he would make it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I was excited to see Farrell Cooper, a guy who's had a great season, returning kicks for the Rams. Because because it is funny whenever we do talk about the Rams, I seem like it seems like we only talk about their screen game and Gurley and you know Goff and you know how their offense is you know up tempo and all that sort of stuff. But Farrell Cooper has made a difference in the return game for them too. Uh, I think Tavon Austin was a guy they thought may do that, but it turns out it was Farrell Cooper. So good to see him get some credit too. Uh, and then Greg the Leg. Every everyone on the special teams plays for the Rams except for uh, Buda Baker for the. Cardinals, but Johnny Hecker's the punter for the Rams, Greg Zerline for the Rams, and Farrell Cooper for the Rams. So they they dominate in all three phases. If you're uh, Sean McVay, so if you're, if you're yeah, a Rams fan, I mean, that's exciting. And, and look, and look, Minnesota's right there with them. I mean, Minnesota's good in all three areas too, you know. And so that's what makes Minnesota so good is, and that's what I keep talking about. If you're going to beat a team like New England, you got to be good in all three areas of the kicking game. You got to be good in all three areas of your football team, and then you got to be able to return. And I think Minnesota can do that. You know, Minnesota, Marcus, Marcus Shirelles is a really good return guy. You know, they, they do that. I mean, Forbath has missed some kicks down the stretch. But for the most part, they can control field position. I mean, this is a good football team. The other guy I was surprised on Minnesota was Eric Kendricks. I think Eric Kendricks mm-hmm. is really a good player. I thought he deserves to be in this, too. I think Minnesota's defensively should have more guys on it because they're really good on defense. Not that I'm disputing the ability of, of, of all the Eagle players. Like, you know, just for me, Bobby Wagner, good player. But I really think Michael, I really think Eric Kendricks has made a real big difference in, in Minnesota's defense. Yep, I, I, I can totally see that. I mean, Griffin's really the the only main guy they have on there. Did, Anthony Barr gets out of the outside linebacker, but I mean, I almost would put yeah, I mean, him see, over Anthony Taylor Barr, Jones. Unfortunately, unfortunately for Anthony Barr, he's a Sam linebacker, which is almost a dinosaur in the NFL. There's very few teams that line up and play a guy who over the tight end as an old Sam linebacker like Carl Banks used to do for the Giants. So, you know, those positions are hard, which makes Mike Tom which makes Mike Zimmer and it makes Paul Gunther, those guys that run this defense, Seattle as well, that look for linebackers that can play on the end, that play Sam linebacker over the tight end, it kind of gives them an advantage because not everybody's looking for that certain player. They just play them down. Whereas in Minnesota, they stand those guys up, they play in coverage, they play stack behind the linebacker. It gives them an advantage to find players, and they do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the Minnesota Vikings defense, they're not going to be complaining because you know, they'll be playing late in the playoffs, most likely. Uh, should we transition to the coaching situation? We, we The NFL, and I want yeah. Yeah, to ask you about this. The NFL, apparently, they sent out a list of their candidates based on their own research, and they have an A and B list, and a bunch of names came out. Does the NFL do this every year? Every year they do it. They have a they have their own. They do the interview process. They, they vet candidates based on what they hear and 
you know, and they, they have an A and a B list and, and they say, hey, look, you should talk to these players or you should talk to this guy. And and this year, Josh McDaniels is definitely on the A list. I don't know who else is on the A list, but McDaniels and I think Jim Schwartz of the Philadelphia Eagles, the defense coordinator, is on the A list. But McDaniels is definitely on the A list. I think McDaniels is definitely going to get jobs. He's going to be in every conversation. I think he's, you know, I think the time has come for Josh to either make a decision to leave or just prepare himself to stay in New England for the long haul, which I think we should talk about this whole New England situation, Tate Frazier, Mm -hmm. to detour a little bit with this Alex Guerrero and Belichick Tate not allowing him to be on the trips and kind of minimizing what he does. And I think that people are making a big deal. This has been going on probably now. I mean, it's come out publicly, but I I think, you know, what, what has always happened there has been, you know, there's been the, the, the regular training method and then there's been the TB12 training method. And sometimes those lines get crossed and sometimes they get confused. And I think what Bill's just trying to do is eliminate any of the confusion and obviously making sure that players go to the treatment because the trainers have always struggled with this. And this is not, not revelation at all, but the trainers have always struggled with someone else coming in and talking, handling the players. Brady has his guy, and I think that's the way they left it. So, I think that, you know, look, they're going to have to deal with the uncertainty of the situation. You know, Brady didn't really comment on it. But for New England, this is like no big deal. They just go on to the next thing. Yeah, and Guerrero, I know that I've seen reporters reach out to him. I mean, he didn't even want to talk about it either. So it seems like it's null and void at this point. But, uh, yeah, the TB12 stuff is, you know, Bill talks about it all the time, about how Tom Brady has his own process for how he handles his body. It's it's basically alternative uh, ways to treat yourself is the whole idea behind, uh, you know, the TB12 movement. So um, alternative medical treatments uh, are always under the spotlight. So it does not surprise that they're trying to you know create some distance to say the least with that whole situation um yeah so let's back to the coaches let's go back to the coaches so anyway so then jim bob cooter from the detroit lions is mm-hmm. on the list i mean jim bob cooter has you know done a nice job with matthew stafford i think he's a guy that's really look you watch his offensive tape and he he tends to really look at new england you can see a lot of new england's offense in his offensive tape, kind of the way he tries to do things. You can see he's obsessed with that. Mike Vrabel, a former New England Patriot outside linebacker, Pittsburgh Steeler, Ohio State guy. I think Mike Vrabel's got a really strong future. The defense down in Houston kind of fell apart a little bit on him in terms of injuries, and it's really it's a makeshift group to keep it all together. But he has a presence and a command about him that I think would be really important as a head coach. I'm not sure he's going to get one this year, but I think Mike Vrabel deserves to be interviewed, deserves to be talked to, because he's got the pedigree you're looking for. He's been around winners. He understands the Patriots system, and he can coach a position. He can coach a defense, and he's play called, which is important. And then Matt Nagy, the offensive coordinator for the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, he's on the list, and I think he's done a really good job since he's taken over the play calling. I think he's going to get a lot of interest from around the league because the one thing about Alex Smith's offense is that they've modified the offense to fit Alex Smith. So what I've often said is it really is more about Utah's offense with with Urban Meyer when Alex Smith was there, and they brushed it up and made it into a professional style. We In the NFL, everybody calls it West Coast College. So it's the West Coast offense with a college twist to it. And I think Nagy deserves a lot of credit for that. I think it was clear that they wanted Nagy to be the offense coordinator. They let Peterson kind of – he was out the door on his way to Philadelphia, and, and Nagy was the guy that took over. And I hear he's got a really bright future. He's command. He's got a command about him. You know, he's not just an Andy, Andy Reid yes man, and I think he'll be successful. 
And can we talk about another guy in Kansas City that that will I've seen his name thrown around and he's on your list as well, and that's Dave Tube, the special teams coach. Uh, yeah, Tob. Yeah, Dave Tob. That Tube Tob. It doesn't matter how we all. Say yeah, it. You know, I, I say Dave Tube, and that's I've I've heard Nan say that on TV, but yeah, Dave Tob is better. I think I've even said Tobe. We've said we've said it all. No, over. I think it's Tobe. Yeah, I think it's Dave Tobe. I've been corrected by people that I'm not sure if they're right or wrong, so I I, I say it differently every time. But whatever it is, he's doing with the special teams in in, in Kansas City. I mean, it, it tends to work out, and obviously we've seen Tyreek Hill benefit from that. But I don't know. He seems like a guy that deserves a shot. I don't know if he actually will get one, but he seems like he deserves some interviews at least. Yeah, I mean, look, he's going to have command over three units, right? So he's he's he. One of the things that I think people don't realize is the special teams coach talks to the entire team. Other than the head coach, he's the only guy that really talks to the entire team. Josh McDaniels just talks to the offense. Matt Patricia just talks to the defense. You know, Steve Wilkes at Carolina, he just talks to his defense. Whereas the special team has to talk to the entire team, and he's got to get the entire team inspired and ready to play. And so he understands a lot of the dynamics. Now, the advantage you get with hiring a special teams coach, and this is what's most critical, is he's a good evaluator of talent. Most special teams coaches, to be successful, have to be a really good evaluator of talent. And I think that's why Taub or Tob or however we want to say his name Let's go with get some mention. So, so, but I, I do think this, though. I really believe that that it's going to come down to somebody who's open-minded to hire him, and then who can he hire as his offensive and defensive coordinators. We see John Harbaugh, the last special teams coach to get a job as a head coach, and he struggled to fix the offense. Won a Super Bowl, but it hasn't been pretty with his offensive coordinators. He's gone through a bunch of them. And I think that's got to get handled more uh, efficiently than what they've done in Baltimore. And he also has to command everything. I mean, one thing you want if you hire the special teams coach, he's got to be involved in everything because he doesn't call plays or he doesn't run the defense in that way. So his personality has to come onto the screen. Yeah, absolutely. And can we talk about a guy with a big personality that has shown an ability to run a team? And that's Jim Schwartz. I mean, he's been awesome with the Eagles defense this year. I know we've brought his name up a couple of times for, you know, giving him credit for what he's done in uh, Philadelphia. I mean, do you think Schwartz is going to get a shot somewhere? I do. I really do. I think that, you know, Jim's got such an advantage, you know, because he's been a head coach before and he understands the pitfalls and where he failed and what he did well and what he didn't do well. And he also understands how the organization has to support him. So I do think that. Look, I, I, I have great respect for Jim. When I first met Jim, we were at a coaching convention uh, in, in Atlanta, and he was looking for a job. He was out of work. And Dom Neely, who was the director of college scouting for me in Cleveland, started talking to him. And Dom said, hey, I like this kid. I think we should bring him to Cleveland for an interview. And I said, sure, Dom. We'll bring him in. Bring him in like next week, and we'll bring him in. So we flew him in. And we always gave everybody what we call the TAP test, which is a psychological analysis test. And basically it grades you on, on five different areas, one through five, uh, you know, hard work, competitiveness, intelligence, stability, all these things, right? Mm-hmm. So we give it to Schwartz. And we this is before email and all that. And we fax it off to, to Bob Troutwine in Kansas City. And and within, an, within 10 minutes after we fax it off, Troutwine's calling my private number in my office and he's like, don't let that kid out of the building. He'd be the best guy you ever hired. There you go. And that's the, that's the greatest like, sales point I've ever heard. Huh? I said, that's the greatest selling point I've ever heard. Give the man I a mean, job. I mean, he said, yeah, don't let that kid out of the building. He's the best guy. And he was. And he was by far. I hired him. He was. He wanted to be a coach, but he, but he started in scouting. So 
he worked, and he basically worked his way. He's really smart. You know, he understands it. And I think, you know, when he gets his other chance, I don't think he's going to fail. I think he's too talented to not to fail, and I think he'll be successful. Because what we deem as, 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 not, as failing is, look, he's in Detroit. You know, he's got a bad front office up in Detroit. I make no bones about that. I mean, I love Matt Millen as a person, and Matt Millen got fired, and the people that were working for Matt Millen came in and started running that organization. And, and if you look, it was difficult. I think there it wasn't all in harmony. I think he did the best he could. They went from 0-16 to having a playoff game. So drafted the right quarterback at Matthew Stafford, built a team around him. It wasn't his fault that they paid Calvin Johnson or Dominican Sue those kind of monies, and they had cap issues. So I think this kid, I think he's going to get a next chance. I think the next time somebody is going to benefit. Like I told, I told this to John Shaw in 1996. I said, if you hire Belichick, you basically are going to benefit from – Art Modell paying for his apprenticeship in Cleveland, which he did. And, of course, he didn't listen to me, and then he went on to Cleveland. <laughs> oh, man. I'm just writing that, too. Tate Frazier, it's it's fascinating. I'll, I'll, I'll go off on a tangent. So I'm just writing this part of the book. So part of my book, Chapter 2, is about uh, about coaching and hiring coaches. And I made a notebook for Shaw. And I ended up going back, and since I've moved 17,000 times and Millie's ready to kill me, I finally found the notebook, you know, of the of the recommendations that I had. So I was reading it and writing it in Chapter 2, and, you know, and it's 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 fascinating to read. It's interesting, and it, had, it was clearly not listened to. Yeah, well, at least you know that where you stood on the record. I'm glad you found that notebook. Uh, I'm on the record. Yep, they can't deny it, Tate Frazier. They cannot. But anyway, so going back to our list, John Filippo, the other Eagle coach, is on the list. Gets a lot of credit in Philadelphia for what Carson Wentz is doing. Now, everybody says it's Doug Peterson's offense. Everybody says it's Frank Reich, who's also on the list as well. Uh, everybody tells me DeFilippo's going to be a really bright young coach. His father used to be the athletic director at Boston College. He was in Oakland when they were successful. So I think he'll get a lot of opportunities to talk to people. George Edwards, the defense coordinator at Minnesota, is on the list. I think he deserves to get talked to. And I think Pat Shermer has really done, to me, of all the guys on the list besides McDaniels and Schwartz, the guy that I think deserves to have a lot of consideration is Pat Shermer. Mm-hmm. Pat Shermer's done a really good job with Minnesota, with Case Keenum, who, look, if you have a team that needs a quarterback and needs to get developed, I think you got to look at, at, at Pat Shermer and see what he can do. Yeah, the final one, uh, I just want to ask you for, for my own benefit here. What about the pencil pusher? What about Matt Patricia? Does he get a shot anywhere? You know, it's going to be interesting if anybody holds back wearing that T-shirt, you know, coming off the plane, you know, especially since Goodell got a contract extension. I don't know. You know, I, I think if you want the Patriot way and you want to kind of like look into that, I think, I think the defense has to play better down the stretch. Look, everything about hiring a head coach right now is about is about being elected. It's not selected. Guys are getting jobs aren't because they're the best coaches in the league. It's because they're electable. It's, the it's recommended by the House. Yeah. It's right. It, you got to win the press conference, and so you know when John Shaw was looking for a coach in 1996, Belichick wasn't going to win the press conference. All fairness to John Shaw, he's right. You know, so you know he wasn't going to win the press conference in, in 1998 when when Robert Kraft hired him, but he win it now. And so it's always tedious when you do that. And I think that that's where you know Patricia comes in. Can his defense play well? Is he electable coming down the stretch? I think that remains to be seen. Uh, yeah, well, we'll see what happens with that. I, I will miss him on the sideline with his laminated sheet and his pencil. 
That is for <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm still not sure what that's for. <laughs> uh, any other any other jobs that you see that are opening up that you think there's a fit? Like a, in my head, I, and I don't know if this will happen. In my head, I, I see Chicago Bears and I see Jim Schwartz, and I and I want to see them together. Um, but th- that's about the only thing I have uh, going I for me. I think Chicago's going to go offense. I think Chicago's going to go offense. I really do. I, I think Jim Schwartz is going to have to be a team that really wants to. I could see Jim Schwartz at the New York Giants mm. who want to build a you know take away from the Eagles. Add somebody to your team. Rebuild your defense a little bit. He knows Ernie, of course, who's picking the general manager. He knows him well. Uh, you know, I'm sure he knows Dave Gettleman. I think that would be somebody that you, if the Giants are looking, I think that would be they could build around their defense. you got Olivier Vernon. you got Jason Pierre-Paul, two guys they need to get maximized their talent level with. They've got a good defense to keep it going. They need to fix the offense. And if you could hire a guy that could build your defense a little bit, you could fix your offense. So I, I think that's the place. Look, John Gruden's the wild card in this whole thing. I know he, you know, he got his name up on the wall. Everybody in the league tells me he's still, you know, that's the name, including people close, are saying that he's really interested in coming back. So that'll be interesting to see where he lands. And then I think he got the two wild cards. What does Bill O'Brien do? He's got one year left on his contract. He says he's not going to resign. I find it hard to believe he would be a lame duck coach for another year. So that would be interesting to see. And then I think John Harbaugh. You know, John Harbaugh got the extension, much like Jim Caldwell got his extension. But we know extensions in the NFL are meaningless because unless you take away the offset clauses in contracts, owners can fire guys that are no – like John Harbaugh wouldn't be out of work for 10 days. He would be like Andy Reid. He would go get a job somewhere else. I could see John Harbaugh ended up in Chicago, let's say, where his brother once played. You know, so I don't think that's going to be the question. I think it's going to be – so if they want to make a move in – can in Baltimore, I don't think it's going to come down to an extension. I think it's going to come down to whether they just feel like they need they need a change of pace. Yeah. So we got the Saturday games. We're going to call it Christmas Shopping Saturday. That'll be what we do yeah. with these games and when they happen. Uh, the Colts are going to take on the Ravens. The Vikings are going to take on the Packers. Uh, yeah, uh, go shopping. We, no need to watch those. But if there's anything to look out for, I mean, you, you were saying the Colts. I mean, that's that's a prime job, right? That's the prime job. I mean, look, look. I'll do respect to Blake Bortles. The AFC is still up in the air. I know Blake Bortles has had three great games, but it's been against the Colt defense. It's been against Houston's defense, and of course Seattle. So you know, I think that I'm I'm not going all in on Blake Bortles. I want to wait and see him do it in the playoffs. But I think the Colts is the prime prime job, and it's going to be fascinating to see the Packers. I mean, they did the smart thing putting Aaron Rodgers on IR. Let's see how their team operates. Minnesota, to me. I think they're the dangerous team. They get another win, which they will this week against the Packers. And, you know, the, you've got to go through Minnesota for at least one game, and then we'll see what happens in Philadelphia. It puts the pressure on Philly to keep winning. So, uh, you know, other than just go shopping, I don't think there's really much on Saturday. Yeah, and then we have Sunday, obviously, is Christmas Eve, and then Monday morning is Christmas. Uh, Lombardi, any big plans for you for Christmas? Or are you going to stay out in California, right? Going to stay in California. I got my presents already. I've got a grandson six months ago, and I got a grandson four days ago. So everything's great. I got all my Christmas presents here, and just going to hang out with the dogs, walk on the beach, and enjoy family. Sounds like a beautiful holiday. I'm happy you're going to have that with the family. Uh, This has been GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Tate Frazier. Thank you, Michael Lombardi. Thanks, Tate.